Welcome to episode 62 of the Lace Em Up podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. If it sounds like I'm losing my voice, it's because I'm just recovering from that epic all-star game oh. because, holy Batman, that was something else. Uh, yep. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about um, the NHL's top 100 list. The official list was unveiled uh, before the festivities kicked off on Friday. Who do we think should have been on there that wasn't on there? Um Frankly, it's going to be the debate that never ends. Um, and uh, also, we're going to talk about in our poll of the week, which current wildcard team do you think will miss the playoffs? Um, the popular result, uh, I don't necessarily agree with. So we'll talk about that. Um, we got injuries. Patrick Laine is back. And um, Brad Marchand fine should have been suspended i'll rant about that uh, and we'll also talk about bruins sense because those are the two teams that we follow the most um before uh, we move along though a quick shout out uh to uh the host of the show that i produce at my radio station uh, brian Lilly, who gave us a shout out yeah. on his show That's on really friday cool. much appreciated brian thank you very much uh, also, shout-outs to all the players past and present who have worn number 62 in the NHL. Uh, that list includes Carl Haglin, Andre Nazarov, Eric Griba, Arturi Lekkinen, Ole Jokinen. Uh, one year at the Islanders, he wore that number in 2000. Mainland Lucic, surprise, surprise, with the Bruins in 08. That's Three cool. seasons with the Ducks, Patrick Maroon wore number 62. Uh, Andre Schuster wears that number with Tampa. And Paul Stasny, his first year with the Avs in 2007, he wore number 62 as well. So to all of them, this podcast is for you. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Yeah, I guess I'll also say a shout-out to Brian Lilly as well. That was a, Steve sent me that clip to uh, to me, and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. Hopefully there's more radio hosts who uh, listen to this podcast somehow. Yeah. The more uh, the merrier. Yeah, the more the merrier, exactly. Um, all right, let's start this off with um, the Ulster game and the skills po- competition, the skills competition um, and all the things that went around with that. Um, we'll talk about the top 100 in our rapid fire, but first we'll talk about the skills competition. I think the uh, highlight this year, the highlight of this weekend was um, Riker Kessler, the son of Ryan Kessler. Uh, got, A.K.A. Mini Kessler. Mini Kessler. Uh, got to, uh, um, got to uh, score a goal on Carey Price, which is uh, pretty cool. Which is actually a really cool thing, because um, like despite being like the son of a famous hockey player, I don't think too many people will be able to say like I scored on Carey Price, even what? you know normal adults. So in fact, um, in that skills competition, he was the only one to score on Carey right, Price. Right, that's, that's true too. Um, and it was what, just, what's also what's also what I liked about that moment just quickly is that. Yeah. Uh, Riker Kessler also before that uh, during the four line challenge he got to shoot from um, the far blue line 
And even though, you know, he didn't hit the big net, uh, he hit the little net uh, near uh, the left face-off circle. And so he got it to the other end. So the guy has a pretty good release. And what I liked about it is this is in Los Angeles. Anaheim is a hated division rival. Yep. Ryan Kessler plays for the Ducks. They're booing Ryan Kessler when he shoots. And his kid goes on the ice and there are cheers in the crowd. And it's just absolutely unbelievable. And, yeah. you know, just how fans are able to just put aside uh, the rivalry for just a second and, and just really recognize that something special is happening. It's just a really cool moment yeah, for the yeah. Kesslers that, that they'll never forget. Yeah, exactly. And I think this will be like the moment that people will remember from this All-Star game. Is the... Yeah, every All-Star game has to have an iconic moment. I think this was definitely it. Yeah, exactly. Um, other things that happened, I, um, there was the new, uh, skills competition with the, um, the four lines challenge. Um, it was kind of cool, I guess, but, you know, it it was kind of weird not having the shootout, um, contest, um, that they usually do. But, um, I guess it was kind of cool. It was kind of hard to see, though, um the puck, just the way that it was filmed, at least in the American TV for that. Yeah. Thing. Um, McDavid got the fastest skater, um, award. Um, he, uh, although there was like a bit of a controversy here with Larkin, um, because like he, he beat out McKinnon, um, just like moments before. So he was already gassed and, yeah, and, um, and, and just to clarify, there yeah. were a lot of photo finishes in that uh, fastest yeah, skater competition. His his was arguably his was probably the closest thing to a no contest you were going to get in that fastest not, skater. Yeah, it's not it's a fast skater. <laughs> and, and McDavid beat him by an extra stride or two. Yeah, it was something. It was crazy. Um, but they. Um, uh, but anyway, so then he had a chance to. Uh, uh, be Larkin's record that he uh, Larkin had last year to be Mike Garner's record, um, and yeah. uh, McDavid almost actually beat Larkin's record, but it was a little weird because uh, l- they gave Larkin extra space to uh, extra time to um, a head start basically. Um, to uh, which gives you a bit of an advantage, and they didn't give that to McDavid for whatever reason. The ref didn't give it to him. Um, so, and I don't think uh, they gave it to Mike Garner all those years ago. So, uh, but Larkin at the end of the night said that he understands the criticism and is uh, challenging McDavid to have like a a skate off in a way. So that should be fun if they actually figure something out and organize that. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Um, it wouldn't be official, I guess, but it'd be kind of cool. Certainly uh, open to a challenge. Yep. Uh, well, I think that's fair to say what, what's also interesting is, uh, the McDavid versus McKinnon race at uh, McDavid went, yep. uh, because that was the last skate. McDavid had, uh, ended up shooting for the record like shortly after that. My question is, if he was in the first race, would that have changed anything? Would he have enough time to rest and recuperate? And if he, you know, had a shot at the record, maybe that extra couple of minutes of rest does him some good. Of course, we'll never know that, but it's one of those 
Um, it's one of those things where you look back and you say, gee, I wonder if this scenario unfolded, what would happen, right? Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, I don't know, like, considering the, yeah, that's a good point. Um, other things that happened, uh, Crosby, in the, uh, skills competition, Crosby hit the, uh, had the accuracy challenge, uh, pretty good. Uh, I think he got it in 10 seconds, which is nuts. It's like, it kind of makes you wish that he was at these events every year. Because I have a feeling they were telling us, they were saying that uh, Daniel Sedin um, has the record with nine seconds. Um, actually, I I heard, actually, I heard 7.3. Oh, is that right? I thought it was yeah. nine. It's one of those things, which is absolutely nuts. But I have a feeling yeah, that Crosby... Sidney Crosby makes it so effortless, and yet yeah, he does it in ten seconds, seconds. Yeah, two seconds shy of the record. Exactly. Um, I thought it was ten seconds um, for Crosby, but like I, yeah, I don't know. No, it was just over ten seconds for yeah. Crosby, and, and and Matthews and McDavid. Uh, McDavid right. uh, did that, and I think it was fifteen seconds ish around there, and then it took McDavid. Um, Four, five tries. He got four targets, and he did that in about yeah. around twelve seconds. And then Crosby goes out right after and and just says, "Not bad, but I can top it. I can <laughs> exactly. do better than you." Um, but I, uh, yeah, Matthews did had a good one, and Line A was okay too in that uh, contest, and McDavid was good too there. Um, but I, I'm just saying, like, uh, I kind of wish that uh, Crosby was more involved. Um, for other All-Star events in the past, just because I have a feeling that Crosby could break the record of that Daniel Sedin had. Um, but I guess we'll... Um, now, that he's accomplished, he uh, now that he's accomplished, you know, all the hard trophies that everyone dreams of accomplishing, yeah. I think he's got more than enough time to just, you know, sit back and enjoy these kind of events more. Yeah, hopefully. But, like, maybe... I don't know. It's It's funny how, like, all that he had, like all that had to be done to get him there, was to be a top 100 player, um, be honored like that. So I don't know. It was just, um, um, but yeah, that was cool. We talked about the young guns with uh, Matthews, Line, and um, McDavid. Line had that hardest shot. He was the only player in the hardest shot uh, to. For both tries to have uh, to get over a hundred miles per hour, and that um, included Shea Weber, who won it for a third straight yeah, year. And that included Shea Weber. Um, I this is one of those times where I wish like Chara and Shea Weber were in the same. Um, were both in involved because um, I don't think Shea Weber and Chara have been in the same All Star game at the same time. So like it would just be cool just to see that a hardest shot competition because those are like those are the only two that uh like char is probably the only guy who can uh compete with uh weber in that competition so but mm-hmm. whatever it was it was cool i don't i don't like the hardest shot that much really um but it was uh in the four line challenge uh we got to see uh mike smith get a goal uh, which was pretty cool. That was another special moment. Um, well, not, not only is it special, uh, not only was it special, he was the only one to do it from 200 feet from the uh, one end of the ice to the other. He had 
net to get it into the other nets, and it was only through this little teeny tiny yeah. five hole slot right in the bottom middle corner and just right on dead center. Yeah. Like that's almost you impossible to hit, and a goalie does that. Yeah. That's insane. Well, yeah, they have a lot of, I mean, I assume they have a lot of practice with that kind of stuff, because whenever it's an empty net, goalies always have a chance to do it. But yeah, you're right. You have to be crazy accurate, too, because they only gave you like a small, like a small hole to get it in. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Mike And Smith. then this is a guy who scored a goal in the NHL, too, yeah. on an empty net, obviously. True, but. true, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's still impressive, nonetheless. Um, I, I, I think out of all the events there, I think the one from one end of the ice to the other, I think eventually that will get scrapped because it's just too hard. I mean, it's it's impressive and yeah. it's enjoyable when someone succeeds. Right. But if it's too hard where no one does it, I mean, you, at some point you got to think, okay, we got to get rid of this because no one can do it. True. Although Brent Burns did uh, – I think Brent Burns was the only guy, only player to actually get one of them in. Um, but, uh, I might be off on that, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to be scrapped. It was just tough from like a fan's perspective or like a TV perspective. Cause I didn't know what was going on half the time. Um, yeah. but I don't know. It might, it might need to be tinkered with a bit, uh, but I could see it like staying as an event. Um, but it has to be tinkered somehow. I'm not sure what the changes would be, but I could see it going in. Um, then we go to the actual All-Star game, which, uh, by the way, is, um, we're recording this right after the game, so, um, so that's cool. Um, but before the game, uh, John Tortorella had to go because his, uh, dog was sick, um, so condolences to him and his family. Hope everything and is to going clarify, well it's 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 the dog owned by his son Nick, who is currently stationed abroad. Right. So. That's, oh, okay. That's... I thought it was his own dog. Either no, way. I, I think it's his son Nick's. Either way, it's a good excuse to have for this kind of thing. It's like yeah. you should probably go to uh, tend to your family instead of uh, coaching a meaningless game like this. So, um, yeah. yeah. So Torts uh, had that. Um, also Malkin was injured, um, so he was out, um, I forget exactly what he has, but I have a feeling like it's one of those things where he just didn't want to go, um, so we'll probably see him sometime next week, but, um, so yeah, Malkin's injured, but, uh, in comes Cam Atkinson, um, and Wayne Gretzky as coach, um, so Cam Atkinson was, when we were talking about when the selections were coming in, is a guy that should have been nominated, should have been in the All Star game already. Mm-hmm. But um, so his comeuppance already happened. He scored a goal in the All Star game, um, so that was good. I think he got the game winning goal. So I guess uh, people are happy about that. And then uh, Gretzky, um, Gretzky got to coach, and it, it's especially cool considering that Crosby and Ovechkin were on the same team. Um, so it's like the great one is coaching like the two closest um, players uh, that he'll um, since he retired. Um, yeah, and I, so. I think it was another one of those highlights that people are going to remember about this particular right. game because there's so much to remember and probably True. a lot, a lot for people to forget because so much happened. But yeah. uh, you know, I can see now why they didn't just pick another coach from the Metropolitan Division to take towards his yeah. place, you know, 
behind the bench. Uh, he just wanted to make it iconic. Crosby, Ovechkin, and the great especially, rolling coaching. And that's that's memorable. Especially with right the centennial thing, it's like a way yeah. to unite the past and the present together. So that was kind of cool. Um, it would make sense. Uh, just yeah. quickly, and though, won, Bob, too. getting back to the skills competition, just for one second. Yeah. Did anyone notice that Tuka Rask used Carey Price's stick during the shootout drill? Uh, no. Yeah, very. I don't think too many people picked up on it, but I realized right away. Hey, something looks off here. If you if if you get some spare time, check YouTube, check the shootout thing. I think you'll notice Tuka Rask isn't using uh, the stick that he normally uses with the Bruins. So, but just. Well, why is that? Uh, not not right now, obviously, but on your own spare time. Trust me, there there's something. One of these things does not look like the other. But why is that a? Are you saying that's a bad thing or? No, I'm just I'm just uh, saying one of the things that I noticed that uh, just one of those little things that probably went unnoticed. It probably uh, just like probably just when the camera wasn't looking, they said, "Hey, can I borrow your stick?" Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. um I, I'm seeing it. I'm hearing an echo. I don't know what that is. Um, do you hear that echo? No. Okay. Maybe it's me. Okay. Um, the, uh, right. So yeah. Um, also, I don't know if you noticed this, but when Riker Kessler scored on Carey Price, uh, Tuka Rask was the first guy to, uh, congratulate him. So I thought that yeah. was kind of funny. Um, I think that I think he probably grabbed the stick like shortly after that because uh, all all the high fives were coming in. I think I think that was the final shot that Price. I think that was yeah, the final was shot the final that shot. he saw in that drill. But yeah, I thought that was funny that right uh, that like Rask was giving a high five to Riker um, or whatever uh, Little Kessel. So Kessler, um, yeah. I thought that was funny. But yeah, so back to the also game. So. Uh, so Gretzky, so the uh, the Atlantic won with Gretzky being the coach, um, and um, oh no, not the Atlantic, the Metro. The Metro, yeah. yeah. Um, with uh, Gretzky being the coach, Atkinson was a big part of that as well. Um, yeah, three goals, two assists over those two games. He and played the game well. Goal. Uh, but Wayne Simmons got the MVP award. Um, it was kind of, I guess there wasn't like, it was kind of cool, although I got the sense that like, compared to last year, I feel like the players didn't really care as much this year, um, which may have just been me, but like the, um, so the Pacific won the first game, um, 10 to 3, uh, against the Central, um. I, I got the feeling that the Central didn't really care that much, which is kind of strange considering the amount of talent that's on that team, but um, it, the Pacific won that. Um, yeah, and last, year, and last year the Central lost 9-6, to six, so that's two years yeah. in a row where they've given up nine or more goals, and they were trailing 5-1 to one after one. I, 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 I thought it was kind of hilarious because they started all the Blackhawks first, yeah. and yet the team that was expected to do well just... Frankly, everything was going wrong for them. Like yeah. you would think that with um, a run and gun Dallas Stars offense, so many veterans on Chicago that knew how to win, a young but talented Jet squad with Patrick Laine, um, and, and all those talented guys, you know, Tarasenko on St. Louis, um, and you know, Dubnik in Minnesota. You know, when he was tested early on, uh, he had three or four breakaways in the first two minutes of action that he saw, and he did very well. But at that point, the game was out of hand. Like. Sure. 
it, it, it seemed as if not that the Central didn't care, but they were trying so hard to make the fancy schmancy play that you're going to see on highlight reels and remember for the rest of your life. Instead, they forgot to make the right play at the right time, and the Pacific team just exposed them. Yeah. And when it just, and when it looked like they had some life, but at that point it was too little, too late. The game was out of right. hand, and all the Pacific had to do was just lock it down. Yeah, true. And I mean, it kind of makes sense too. With like, I was trying to think like, like Pacific generally is known as like the worst division, but when you think about it, it's really just the best players from the California teams, and then you have McDavid, Gaudreau, and Bo Horvat, who are, like, three of the better players uh, out right now, and Mike Smith. Um, so it's like, they don't have a terrible team either. So um, um, so that that was uh, that was kind of surprising, but kind of not when you think about it. Um, yeah. Then the uh, Metro played the Atlantic. This was a little closer. Um for me, it was weird having a line of Shea Weber, Austin Matthews, and Brand Marchand on the same line. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just too much to handle for... Um, Carey Price played well. Tugarask, it wasn't really his night. Um, but um, it's kind of hard when you're have John when you facing John Tavares, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, um, and a bunch of other players. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's cer- it's certainly it's 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 unfortunate because you know I, I was I was kind of thinking originally and and the Atlantic they won the skills competition so they got to choose who they're going to face and yeah. I thought you know stay away from the very good team that could probably knock you out first and that would be the Metro instead they go after that team first true uh, and they play second um, and you know what it was tied three three. Before Tuka Rass came in, yeah. and then Matthew scores to make it four three, and then bang 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 three goals in nineteen seconds, yeah. and that pretty much turned the tide. And then shortly after, Marshawn gets a chance on Braden Holby, and Holby just stymies him with the glove. In my opinion, that's the turning point of that game. Yeah. If he scores at six to five, and anything goes. But I think really it was yeah, the it beginning was of the end for, for the Atlantic after that save by Holby. Yeah, it was cl- that's true. It was close for a while until that save there, um, where just all the momentum went to the uh, the Metro um, at that point. But um, yeah, and, 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 that, and it was it was it was good for other players in the Metro yeah. to step up too. I mean, Simmons had two goals, Atkinson had two goals, Tavares yeah. had two goals because um, Crosby and Ovechkin. I don't know if you noticed, they weren't too good at back checking for the better no. part of that game. Well, they even, did though have, they connected, even though they connected yeah. twice, right. uh, it's they didn't really dominate that game. They had to rely on a lot of their yeah, other yeah. guys. It was kind of cool to see the like their first goal together was a Crosby goal from Alex Ovechkin, but it's it was kind of weird because Ovechkin's known as the goal scorer and Crosby's more the playmaker. So it was a little odd to see like their first goal together was like a Crosby goal and not an Ovechkin goal. But then they made it up for it at the end there, so that was cool. Um, and then uh, the Metro and the Pacific played, and it was actually a pretty good game. Uh, the, a lot of the players seemed to try um, there. Um, yeah, I agree. It was a lot more competitive. A lot of a back lot more competitive. To that exactly. Game. I like the flow. Um, and uh, yeah, so the uh, the Pacific was like it, it seemed like as soon as the Pacific scored, then the Central, then the uh, Metro scored. Um, and then, um, 
it just was back and forth and goals as well. Um, yeah, it wasn't like even more. I don't think it was ever more. Now that I'm looking at the box scores here. Yeah, I don't think it was ever more than a two goal lead, which is kind of cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so Cam Atkinson got the game tying goal. And then Wayne Simmons got the game-winning goal a couple minutes later. So, um, um, and then after that, it was kind of uh, all on uh, uh, Holtby, who didn't give up a goal at all um, uh, during that game. Although I, I think I think they fair, got a few on. I think he got a few on him, but uh, yeah. you're right. He, he did hold the fort for the most part. He made to be a lot fair, of to be fair to that though, he had five shots on him. So. Um, I don't know, maybe just the Pacific were just gassed or whatever, but, um, so yeah, um, so yeah, it was, uh, the Metro won, Wayne Simmons was the MVP because he had that game-winning goal, um, but I, I could have seen it, like, being given to, uh, Cam Atkinson, um, maybe, or, uh, just because he also had a good game in the, uh, previous, uh, you know, in the second period, so um, in the other game, but uh, and, and what people, what people don't know about the final is that yep. it, it could have easily gone uh, the Pacific's way because Pacific thought they scored to make it four to two, but Gretzky makes a coach's challenge, and it looked like McDavid oh, yeah. was just a smidgen offside, and then shortly after that, bang bang, Metro yep. goes up four to three. If it's four to two for the Pacific, you never know what's going to happen there. So that was a turning point of the game. And Mike Smith, full credit to Mike Smith, there was like yeah, Mike Smith had a, a series of chances where he had to face like five or six stops, and he and he was incredible during that sequence. Yeah. So he, he held the fort for uh for, for the Pacific Division, and and Ryan McDonough at the end. I don't know if you noticed the wide open net. I think it was McDavid who shot it. I I might be wrong. Yeah, but he shot it. McDonough gets a piece of it with his skate, and then it goes off the crossbar. Yeah. If that goes in, it's tied. Yeah, that's true. Um, other things to mention, uh, for Cam Atkinson's goal there, uh, it was like a breakaway, uh, but then Johnny Goudreau um, came in and tried to stop him, but he couldn't. Um, fun fact about them, uh, both those guys, they're both BC alumni, and they both wear, I didn't realize this before, but they both wear the number 13. Um, yeah. And they're all both, I think, the same height, too. So um, it's kind of a cool thing there. I didn't even realize that they both wore 13 and they both went. I did know that they both went to BC, but um, something interesting about that. Yeah, BC stands for Boston College, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I, I so assume that most people... I don't people. get uh, acronyms very well. And, and, <laughs> I assume and most Cam people Atkinson, know that. If you, if you watch the replay, too, Cam Atkinson... Yeah. Uh, he actually... Uh, Goudreau doesn't knock it in. Cam Atkinson yeah. actually shows great hand-eye, and he actually gets the rebound in True. over Mike Smith. So. Yeah, it was a nice goal. Um, I just I assume people know what, what BC stands for, but yes, yeah. I, I guess not. I'm just... Uh, I'm just a masshole here. Um, <laughs> all right, let's get going on the poll of the week. I think that's it, unless you have other things you want to talk about for the All-Star game, right? Uh, um, oh, oh, yeah, there's a historical note. Uh, Franz Nielsen of the Atlantic Division plays the Detroit Red Wings. First Danish-born player to take part in the All-Star game. A little known oh, fact there. For that's me. cool. Um, yeah, that is a fun fact. 
Um, oh, yeah, it was also cool seeing that, like, you know, because we were talking about Gretzky and uh, coaching a Crosby Ovechkin team. In the finals, they were facing off against McDavid, so it was kind of cool to see, like, the new the new guy playing um, the old um, greats there. So um, that was cool. Um, and I would imagine, even though he didn't coach, John Tortorella would get a piece of the prize money as well, right? Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work, but uh, I guess we'll I would see. think so. Yeah, I mean, but it's kind of weird because we're talking about, like, player, like, you know, Crosby and Ovechkin and all those guys, like, make a ton of money already. So I don't know if they're <laughs> that interested in the in the prize money, but, um, yeah, maybe. It might be a little more generous, you never know. Yeah, I don't know if, like, Gretzky needs I, any I more money. It, <laughs> I don't know if Gretzky needs any more money. No, um, I'm sure. I'm sure he'll be like, "All right, Tortorella, you'll get the money too." Um, I don't even think Tortorella needs the money either. Um, all right, so we go. Let's go to the poll of the week. Um, so I asked. Uh, so this this was asked on Friday when there were no games for the week. So I figured this is going to actually start a new "Are they for real?" section. But it's going to be playoff edition where we're going to talk about if certain teams are in or are they out of the playoffs. Um, so the there are four wild the there are four current wild card teams um, right now are the Rangers and the Flyers in the Eastern Conference and the Blues and the Flames in the Western Conference. Uh, so I asked people as our poll of the week question is. Of the four wildcard teams, which one will not make the playoffs? Um, which was uh, which was a pretty cool, um, I guess a t- good turnout. Not really surprising, but uh, 55% had the Flyers not making the playoffs. Um, then the next one was the 27% that had the Flames, and then 18% had the Blues, and 0% had the Rangers, so um, people think are high on the Rangers here. Um, yeah, so I guess it's not that surprising. I guess I could see the Flyers um, going out just because their goaltending is a little suspect. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I could see the uh, Flames also not making the playoffs. Of the, that's who I probably would have voted for. Uh, just because... Their goaltending, we don't know much about their goaltending. I don't think they're, fo- like, their forwards are young, but I don't think they're as good as, like, say, Anaheim's or, Los- um, or like, uh, Edmonton's are, or San Jose, so, um, or any team in the Central, basically. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so, I, I don't know, what are your thoughts, Steve? Well, uh, just taking a look, because um, a lot of what happens has to do with two things. One, what division do they play in? And number yep. two, who are they going up against? So just True. quickly here, um, the Flyers' goaltending, it's been Jekyll and Hyde, but they got some firepower to them. The Blues don't have any goaltending at all right now. The Flames have really struggled to find their goaltending. Um as a matter of fact, uh, during their four-game skid, they were trailing 4 nothing in each of those games at some point. Um, and getting back to the Blues, they've had to pull their starting goalie four times in their last nine games. Um, but if you look at the Flames, they're playing in the worst division right now, arguably. So they have a decent shot at getting some wins. But 
if you look at their schedule in February, they only got five home games. The good news is in March, they played 10 of their 14 games at uh, the Scotiabank Saddledome. Um, the Blues, of course, play in the Central Division. You got teams like Chicago, uh, even Winnipeg or Dallas that can beat you on any given night. All of them have a lot of firepower. And on top of all that, uh, the Blues in the first two weeks of February, they're going to face a variety of strong clubs in the East. They get the Leafs twice. They get Ottawa. They get Pittsburgh. They get the aforementioned Flyers. And they get Montreal. Um, the Flyers, of course, as I mentioned, they face the Blues. Um, they have a five-game homestand after the All-Star break. They get Montreal, L.A., um, the Islanders, and the Sharks, along with the Blues. Um, they got several good opponents coming up in March as well. And from the 21st to the 30th, they get Mini, Columbus, and Pittsburgh, to name a few teams. So that's a pretty tough stretch there. Um, I, I think out of the four teams, the, mo- the team most likely to stay in the playoff picture is the New York Rangers. I have no yeah. problems with the New York Rangers. King Henrik is starting to play like King Henrik again, which is yeah. good. Um, so that's certainly reassuring news. Even with the odd injury, I think the Rangers are in pretty good shape. Um, I think the Blues are the most likely to miss out. Um, yeah, you hate the Blues. <laughs> well, I, I said before that we're going to yeah. rule the day when they when they decided to walk away from David Backus and Troy Brower. I think, and I think you're starting to see it now. Their their goaltending yeah. is looking a bit suspect. But that has nothing to just, do with just, just just the team play isn't there right now. But that has nothing to do with the goaltending has nothing to do with Backus and uh, Brower being out. Um, yeah, I, I, I and, and I understand it's two completely different things. I just yeah. didn't think they'd be as strong of a team um, this year compared to last year. And yeah, I guess that's fair. We're, start, start, we're starting to see it a little bit now. And I guess that's fair. Just the fact, just the fact yeah. not only are they going up against some good teams, not only do they have to beat these teams, they have to hope that every team in their division loses. Yeah. Because they lose and the others start to win, then they lose ground. And that translates into probably not making the playoffs. So I, the fact hanging on by a thread and they got some other teams on their tail, yeah. they need to get hot and their goaltending needs to play well. If their goaltending can't play well, they're not making the playoffs. I guess that's fair, but that's more I guess that's more to do with their missing Brian Elliott than their missing Bacchus and Brower. Um, just because yeah. it, it seems like their goaltending hasn't been helping them a lot. Uh, Jake Allen's struggling, Carter Hutton, their backup is struggling too, so um, but yeah, struggling to a lesser extent, but not playing lights out. You're right. Right. Um, that, yeah, that's what I meant. Um, but like they kind of want, you know, they need Brian Elliott, but I still, I still think that they'll make the playoffs. Um, I don't like, if you look at the teams that aren't in the playoffs, like we're like really the only team that could compete with them is Calgary and LA. Um, although I guess Vancouver is trailing Calgary by a point, but um, LA doesn't have quick for a, a bit now as well, um, which we're going to talk about in a bit. Um, so I don't think they're um, they're in any trouble really. Uh, Dallas is is in even worse shape with their goaltending. So um, and Winnipeg as well. So uh, I think they're okay for now. Um, it's just uh, I I don't know. I just don't see. St. Louis not making the playoffs. 
with, right. with the deadline uh, coming up in about a month's time, believe it or not, it is coming up March 1st is yeah. the trade deadline, and we're coming up on February now. Yeah. I think what they do at the deadline is really going to say uh, how confident they are about this team and what this team can do. And if they don't do a whole lot, and that, and then I'm even more concerned if they continue to struggle. Yeah, that's true. But I feel like, yeah... I feel like, yeah, they have goaltending issues, but I feel like teams like Dallas, Winnipeg, Vancouver, and L.A., who are all uh, fighting for his position, and Calgary in some sense, too, um, they all have goaltending issues. So, um, And they have worse goaltending issues than St. Louis does. Um, So, I don't know. I feel like they're the stronger of those teams that I just mentioned. Uh, Yeah, now, now I think... think Probably the most. Um, I, I think I'm, I. I will say this though. I think either. I think either St. Louis, Calgary, or Philly. I think all three are more than capable of making the playoffs. I also think all three are more than capable of missing out on the playoffs. The Rangers are the only slam dunk pick of this four that I can say you don't need to worry about that. They'll be in the playoffs no matter what. Right. Yeah. We'll see. Um, let's go to the rapid fire. Uh, the top, another thing that happened this week was the, uh, top 100 players were announced on Friday. Um, I actually didn't see the whole, like, ceremony or whatever, but I did get the list here. We, uh, posted it on our Facebook page, so if you want to, um, look at that, uh, feel free. Um, I guess, uh, I know we mentioned this before with, um, with there's only going to be six current players, so it turns out that it was altogether six current players, not six that are uh, playing at the game. Those six were uh, Yamir Yager, uh, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, and then you have Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, and Duncan Keith um, as the other ones. However, I upon further thinking about this is... I feel like guys like Malkin, uh, Joe Thornton, Zdeno Chara, um, I'm thinking, I feel like I'm missing the others, Lundqvist, Henrik Lundqvist, um, those guys deserve to be in more than a lot of these other guys that actually made the list. Um, just purely because it's a lot, this, is, this league right now is a lot harder than it was um, you know, 50 years ago, or uh, when there weren't, like, defense, and there wasn't, um, like, you know, scoring was high, and players didn't really um, care too much on um, their bodies in that sense, and, like, you know, there wasn't defensive strategies in the 80s and 90s, um, or actually, uh, sort of in the late 90s, there were defensive strategies, but my point is, is that there should have been I feel like there should have been more 90s and 2,000 players on this list um, than there was now. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like... Our, oh, and Aginla is another guy, too. Um, but, um, yeah, what did you think? Well, uh, and also the two Sedin twins, they were yeah. also left off. So, yeah, um, we could go on and on, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, there, there are a lot of players. You could say, ah, uh, they... Yeah, uh, I mean, I, like, it, even honestly, if... Go ahead, I, I'm looking at the list, and I was looking at the Yahoo article that you sent me, um, yep. you know, off air. Um, 
and it was it mentioned it was a bit surprised that Serge Savard was included and although he won several Stanley Cups with Montreal he didn't get even a nomination for the Norris yeah. Trophy and you look at Duncan Keith who's on the list he's got two Norris trophies and Chelios like stamina so um, again nothing to take away from Serge Savard but uh, you know what in, in some way shape or form all of these 100 players deserve um deserve to have their name on this list i'm not taking anything away from them it's a tough list to compile True. in fact even making a t- argument for who would you pick as your top three that's a tough call because yeah i mean you look at Le- gretzky how lemieux and or like who do you leave off as, right. as your top three it's almost impossible to pick and it's just yeah. an unfair debate um but you look at a guy like Evgeny Malkin, two NHL scoring titles, two Stanley Cups, and a Conn Smythe. How is he not on there? Right. Yeah, like, I mean, I think... So I, 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 totally, I totally see your point in that sense, but uh, here's my argument, too. you got to remember the past because the past inspired the future. I mean, you look at uh, the three goalies, Hashik, Juan, Brodeur. They inspired the next wave of goalies, Hashik in particular... The first goalie from the Czech Republic to really make it big in the NHL. So he inspired a country as opposed to your average goalie from North America. He did more than inspire the next wave of goalies. The next wave of European goalies. And you look at Boris Salming, who inspired guys like Nicholas Lindstrom, who went on to inspire guys like Eric Carlson. It wasn't just North American players making their mark. It was Russians. It was Swedes. It was Finns. I get your point in that sense that like these guys influenced the, the the present players and the future players but at the same time it's like tough to say like that like like if you look at like guys like Yari Curry who wouldn't be on this list if he didn't play on a line with Messier and Gretzky um <clears throat> you know or um like guys like um even like Luke Robotai I feel like shouldn't be on here but like I don't know, or, like, guys in the 50s and 60s, like, yeah, I mean, there are some cases, like, obviously, Bobby Orr, Gordie Howe, those guys should be on there, but I feel like if, in terms of, like, greatest players, it's, like, a lot, like, um, like, especially considering the era that they were in, like, the 80s was around the time when, Goal like there were ten nine games every day pretty much, and mm-hmm. nowadays it's you're lucky if you even get five goals um, for a team. So it's I feel like that in that sense I feel like it's a lot harder to score goals now just because of how like how much training is involved in these things. So like if you put like a guy like Malkin in like the 1960s. Um, he probably would have gotten a lot more goals than he does right now. Um, and so that's the same saying for any of these guys um, currently. If you put them in the eighty in an eighties lineup, I mean they played in the li- in the eighties. I feel like they would have scored more goals than they do right now. Um, so it's like it's it's tough to. I think that's another thing that you have to like look at is you have to compare different eras. Um, and it's tough to do that because we don't know how these players would do in different eras. And, and you look at guys like Serge Savard, who I yeah. alluded to earlier. Again, he was a part of a lot of winning Montreal Canadiens teams that won Stanley Cups. Right. And I think that's part of the reason why you have guys like Taves, Keith, and Patrick Kane 
on, on this list. Like they're talented, but yeah, you, you, you wonder, you know, if they're talented right. enough to be in the top 100. They won three Stanley Cups and turned Chicago from a cellar dweller to a cup contender. Yeah, and they're I still guess, threatening to win championships. I guess so, but it's still like tough to say that they're exactly. I feel like they're in just because they won three cups. Like if they didn't yeah. win three cups, they probably wouldn't be in. Um, like, you know, Patrice Bergeron is a very similar player to Jonathan Tays, but he only has one cup. Um, so like, why isn't he in? Um, and he has more Selkies than Tays. So, um, I think the fact that you know, the team, they have a lot of team hardware that kind of works to their advantage. Cause you look at Joe never won the cups. So that's not never fair. Won that's not fair. Really? Um, I wouldn't say just cause I feel like. If you're if you're going to make a, t- a top a hundred teams of all time, then yeah, I agree with you. Then yeah. then these guys then then the Blackhawks should be involved. But like this is players; it's players' accomplishments. It's not yeah. Um, it's not like how you're doing. It. Like Hasek was on terrible teams um, forever until he got on the Red Wings. But like he pretty much carried every team that every bad team he's been on. Um, to be a good player, so um, so he deserves it. But when you look at like a guy like Patrick Waugh, for instance, you know he was always on good teams or players that were in front of him. So I don't know. It, it's it's strange, and I understand. Like you're never you're never like there's always going to be complaints because you can't like really dwindle down a hundred years to 100 players and not leave out someone who's also really, really good. But mm-hmm. it's um, it's just, I'm just saying, I wish they uh, incorporated more current players like Joe Thornton, Jerome Ginla, and Sedin Ochara, at the least. Or Lundquist is another one, the Sedins. Um, well, St. Louis and like Cavalier, I don't think either made it on there as well. Yeah. And, they, and they were... You know, probably one of the better players of you know the early two thousands. Yeah, that's that's true. That's another good point. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, it's it's tough, but um, whatever. It's it's kind of a pointless list, anyways. But um, imagine if they like rank these players now. That would no, be even... yeah, that that would be taking it way too far. <laughs> Um, and you get into an argument of no, yeah. this guy should be the greatest of all time. Right, no, exactly. this guy should. Well, what was interesting is is so they have this press conference during the ceremonies, and so Gretzky, Orr, and Lemieux, who are um, probably the th- or not probably they are the three greatest living hockey players right now, and they all said that Gordie Howe is the greatest player ever. So they all agreed mm-hmm. on that. But like you know, everyone else thinks that it's either Gretzky and Hor. Or yeah, so, uh, Gordy yeah. Howe is, is the best because he did it first. He right. was the first big superstar yeah. in this. Yeah, and I, I didn't mean to like take away any any of the accomplishments from people of the past. That's not my yeah. point. But I just felt like it since it's so much harder to play in the league right now on a consistent level that I feel like they should have attributed more to the current players than they did now, but whatever. What what I did like, though, is the fact that this list brought all these players from various generations together yeah, under one cool. I mean, I was watching an interview with Sportsnet's David Amber. He had Luke Robitaille, 
um, Brett Hall and Joe Sackick in one room. And then before the game, uh, Ron McLean had an interview with Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky, and Bobby Orr. I mean, so much greatness in, in one gathering. And it's just listening to all those stories get told. And um, and, you, and you just remember all, all the players. You know, more recently, Gordie Howe passed away. Just imagine what it would have been like to have him there as well. And 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 and, it, and and John Belleville a couple of years ago he passed on as well. So it's just it, it it was just so memorable because current players got to chat with the players of the past, and the players of the past got to chat with players of the past from other yeah. generations that they dreamed of that they dreamed of playing alongside with that they grew up idolizing in their careers. Just just the whole. Who's who of NHL stars getting together from various generations? That's what really I'll take away from this weekend because it wasn't like any other. You don't see all these NHL greats getting together like this. And this one was a very special occasion. So it was just really nice to see. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good point. It was cool to see that. Um, All right, let's get going, though. Uh, So speaking of greats, um, Mar- Patrick Marlowe got four goals, um, and, he, uh, was it on Monday or Tuesday? It was Monday against Colorado. All of them came in the third period and it took them 13 minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah. And again, it's against Colorado that's struggling to just really not give up six goals a game. So it was relatively easy for him to do, um, and and also a shout out to his GM Doug Wilson. He's he, he could achieve uh, a very rare milestone uh, in the very near future. He would become the fourth individual in NHL history to reach a thousand games as a player and a thousand games as a general manager. So uh, all the milestones are coming the Sharks' way. The only one that's missing is the time Joe Thornton gets to score four goals in the game. Oh, yeah. Um... Yeah, yeah. Uh, if only Joe Thornton was uh, did the uh, scoring, but uh, <laughs> I guess we'll have to wait. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, I guess uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it's weird that the Sharks always do the uh, have the four goals or whatever. But yeah, I guess old Austin Matthews had the four goals as well. So yeah, um, well, he just flashed back to to Hurdle as well. I, yeah. I can't remember if someone did that before, but. I'm sure it's yeah, happened before. <laughs> there have been a lot of four goal games by San Jose Sharks. But yeah, it does seem like the Sharks game. have it a lot. Um, with uh, the Thornton reference. Uh, so speaking of another, we were just talking about Matthews and um, his uh, counterpart. I guess Patrick Line is back. Um, he returned on Thursday and he did come back and played in the All Star game. So that was cool. Um, yeah, and he sure got. Uh, he also got. To, um, he also got to extend his point streak. He got one assist in yep. his return versus the Sharks, and then he got a goal and an assist against the Blackhawks two days later. He is now in a, on a six-game point streak, ten points during that stretch. Huh. So yeah, I mean, it's also. Um, I don't know if you were uh, speaking of the Jets. The uh, we talked about Pavlich being recalled, yeah. and then uh, we had Patrick, you know, um, and then apparently Hellebuck played their last game on Thursday, um, 
and he had like he he won, but it was like it was he only gave up three goals, um, which isn't great, obviously, but it's it's not bad either. So maybe Hellbuck will I be the guy. He faced over thirty shots in that game, though, maybe more. Yeah, it's something like that. But um, so I, I maybe, find I don't know. it funny. I find it funny how the Jets are sixteen points behind the Blackhawks in the standings, and yet they're four and zero against them this year. Somehow, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you played. And the Blackhawks. He, Blackhawks have only scored six goals, two against the Jets. The, yeah, the Winnipeg's had their numbers. Hellebuck had 38 saves against the Blackhawks. Wow. Okay, um, so a lot more than 30 shots against. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, um, yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm a little distracted here. Um, all right, some injuries here. Uh, so Kyle Brodziak um, is out for five weeks from the Blues. He's on the Blues. I thought he was on the Wild for a second, but then when I did yeah, my research... Well, he, yeah, that's how he started yeah. off, yeah. Uh, he hurt his foot, but um, in comes Ivan Barbashev, um, who's a t- uh, top prospect for them. So um, it should be interesting to see what he has. This is kind of like a tryout for him. Um, but yeah, so Barbashev yeah, is solid. He's, aver- he's averaged a point per game, or not averaged a point per game, but pretty well close to a point per game in the AHL this year. So uh, he's he's all, he's got 19 goals on the year as well. So um so uh um in more serious news, we kind of talked about this before. Uh Jonathan Quick is now out until March at the earliest. Um so the I mean Peter Budai hasn't been terrible for them, but obviously they want their uh starter in their lineup for them. So, um, but uh, yeah, so Quick is, uh, they've been reported that he'll come back until March, maybe. Um, although I wouldn't be surprised if he's out for the year. Um, well, the initial the initial report, they were hoping to have him back by mid-February. It's looking like that won't happen. And that, mid, uh, that early March is the earliest that he's going to be back. Um, but I remember uh, watching uh, this video on, um, on the LA Kings Facebook feed about Peter Budai's uh, resurgence, reviving his NHL career while Quick has been out. And I can't remember off the top of my head which um, of the Kings personnel said this, but um, they commented, we're planning this year as if Jonathan Quick is not coming back. Oh, okay. So, so yeah. they're taking that approach. They're ex- they're they're expecting the worst-case scenario that he won't be back this yeah. year. So I guess they so, won't. I guess they won't make a trade then. Um, to no, I, I don't. I don't think they'd be wise. And, and Budai's yeah. done a. Uh, he's got over twenty wins this year. He's he's done about as good a job as he can. He's kept them in the playoff race, mm-hmm. and they're fortunate that in the West, where anything goes, that they might still have a shot. But if they can't get Jonathan Quick back, even if they make it in the playoffs, I think they're going to be an early first round exit. Like, yeah. I don't see him going far without Quick. Um. Well, speaking of teams that are already done. Um, the Colorado Avalanche, um, and Sergey Varlamov is out for the year. Um, I mean, yeah, we, we talked about it last yeah. week. Um, we just didn't know that Semyon Varlamov would be done for the year, but now he is. Did I say Sergey Varlamov? I meant Semyon. Yeah. <laughs> Sergey Bobrovsky Varlamov. Um, all right. Now we're on to Bruin Sen segment. Um, I forget who started last week. Um, I'll have you go though. I, although I think you started first, but um, you'll go first because I have to do yeah. something quickly. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, 
in a stretch of five games facing St. Louis, Columbus twice, and the Maple Leafs, I would not believe you if you had told me that Ottawa would get seven of a possible eight points in in that uh, five-game stretch. And yet they did. Um, And the reason I said off-air the Sens are kicking butt right now is because (laughs) that game they lost to Columbus in OT, that was totally winnable. Um, Bobrovsky got the night off. I wouldn't say that's kicking butt per se, but yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, but... uh, Again, Bobrovsky giving the night off. Corpusell didn't look all that great. Zach Smith almost got a hat-trick in the opening 20 minutes. Mike Hoffman got two beauty goals in the second period. And they got three goals in less than 10 minutes of hockey to get out of the middle frame with a 5-3 to three lead. Unfortunately, in the first 10 minutes of third, that lead evaporated. Columbus scored three times. They took a 6-5 lead. Turris, uh, who Kyle Turris, who got a lot of chances to score for Ottawa in the previous game against Toronto, he gets the extra man equalizer. They force OT. And the Sens, again, they had chances to put this game away. Didn't get it done. They rolled the dice uh, with their second th- overtime in their less than 24 hours. And then Ken Atkinson, being Ken Atkinson, wins the game on a breakaway. Um, you know, it's unfortunate they up, couldn't hold off the other team's top guns. But they played well enough to win that game offensively. Um, but... Again, you need to lock these teams down in the third period, especially if you get a tough team like Columbus, like Montreal, like Washington, like Pittsburgh. If you go into the playoffs and you get one of those teams, um, in order to go deep, you're going to be facing one of those top dogs, and you need to know how to finish them off later in the game. So Ottawa could have won that game. In my opinion, they should have won that game. They didn't win that game, but they got a point. They were able to salvage a point out of that. Um, the good news is um, they were shut out uh, by Washington once already this year, and they responded by shutting out the Capitals 3 to nothing in uh, the season finale against Washington. Mike Condon was huge, uh, wasn't all that great against Columbus, but he made 31 saves for the shutout and the win uh, against the Caps. Bobby Ryan has four goals in his last seven games, happy about that. Nice to see him continuing to put the puck in the net now. Um, Tom Pyatt continues his solid play. Freddie Clayson stepped up his game. He got two assists against Washington. And when the unsung heroes are playing well, that really makes Guy Boucher's job easier. And they did all of this against the best team in the league who had a 14 point, uh, who had a 14 game point streak coming into that contest. And the week before the Sen shadow Columbus, who were first overall prior to that game and Ottawa goes, um, Again, four zero and one in that in that, uh, or maybe it was five zero and one. But but either way, to to only uh, lose in overtime to that um, uh, in, in that stretch of really critical games over those two weeks of play, that's really impressive. And yeah, they lost to Calgary, and they were down two nothing to Calgary. But again, they forced overtime. They had chances to win that game too. So even though they didn't win that game, they still had chances uh, to get another win. So the fact that they're going up against these teams and they have a chance to win every single game, whereas last year you just hope they had a chance to win these games. I'm liking what I'm seeing from this team. And the fact is heading into the All-Star break, even though Eric Carlson hasn't scored in his last 19 games, he's got 12 assists during that stretch. He's still being their go-to leader. And Ottawa is 10 points better at this point this year compared to last year. 
I'll take that as an improvement. And uh, that, that's why I say they're kicking butt because they're doing, <laughs> I, I think, a lot better from a team standpoint this year than they were last year. Um, that being said, it was also a busy week for off-ice news in Sens land. Uh, it started with uh, Zach Smith. He got 25 goals last year, on pace for another 20-goal season this year. He signed a four-year contract extension worth $3.25 million a year. A bargain signing for a guy that brings a little bit of everything. He can make the big hit, not afraid to fight, and now he can score. So that's good for us. Uh, and then while that was taking place, uh, Pierre Dorian, the Sens GM, wasn't done there. He pulled the trigger on a deal with San Jose that resulted in Tommy Wingles coming to the nation's capital. And all they had to do was give up an AHL enforcer in Zach Stortini, an ex-Nepean Raider named Buddy Robinson, and a seventh-round pick in the upcoming NHL entry draft. And just like Zach Smith, Tommy Wingles can hit, he can provide the odd goal, and he does the little things right. So it's not a move that knocks your socks off, but it's a good, solid death move that I think um, really adds some um, grit to uh, the Sens' uh, third or fourth line. Um, and then while um, before that happened, I believe, um, or I think it was on the day of, uh, but nevertheless, Brian Murray um, was inducted into the Sens' Ring of Honor, the first individual to receive that honor. Okay. And it, in my opinion, it was well-earned for, for a guy who did what he could to build a winner here. Now, of course, like every GM, you know, you have the mistake. They, you have some deals that go bad. Probably the Ben Bishop trade to Tampa was one of the worst moves that was approved during his tenure. I mean, it turned out to be Corey Conacher um, and uh, a prospect named uh, Tobias Lindbergh. Of draft pick that turned out to be Tobias Lindbergh, who they later traded to Toronto on the Dion Phaneuf deal. And, of course, we all know what happened. Corey Conacher's bounced off a couple of different teams. He eventually landed in Tampa, as a matter of fact. So that, that deal wasn't really promising. And that was before Tyler Johnson was even a known commodity in Tampa Bay. That was when he was in the AHL. So the fact we maybe could have gotten Tyler Johnson instead of Corey Conacher probably annoys a lot of people. But that being said, Brian Murray traded for Kyle Turris for David Rumblad. It cost him pretty much nothing to get him out of uh, Arizona. And he was also the guy at the helm when the team drafted all of the studs that make up their team today. I'm talking about Eric Carlson. I'm talking about Mark Stone, Cody Ceci, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, and more recently, Thomas Shabbat and Colin White. All those guys were drafted under Brian Murray's watch. Now, and and then you have the Craig Anderson trade. All they gave up was Brian Elliott, and that was to Colorado, and he only lasted half a season there. And that trade has worked wonders for Ottawa as well. So the majority of today's team has been built thanks to Brian Murray, and um, he sacrificed a lot of his time. He spent a lot of his, uh, uh, his final years in the NHL here, and just truly grateful that um, he, he was able to um, – he, he was able to build uh, such a strong uh, group of prospects here that have really turned into everyday NHLers, and that's great to see. Uh, what wasn't great to see was that Cyril Leader, uh, no longer with the team, stepped down as president and CEO on Wednesday. Replacing him is a former MLSE executive named Tom Anselmi. 
Um, and the reason why he's here is because he played a big role in developing the Sky Dome, which is now the Rogers Center, home of the Blue Jays. And he also helped develop the Air Canada Center, which is home of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the NBA's Toronto Raptors. And it's significant because Ottawa, as you know, plans for a new downtown arena in the works. They need a guy with experience. Makes perfect sense why you're bringing in a guy like Tom and Selmy to help out with that. And while the Sens have been struggling to bring fans uh, into the building, put bums in the seats, Sens owner Eugene Melnick made it perfectly clear that poor attendance ratings had pretty much nothing to do with Cyril Leader's departure. He was there for this team since day one. He's helped them through a fair bit of trouble during their financially challenged years. He was there. He helped them get out of it. Um, and at some point, it wouldn't surprise me if Cyril Leader's in that ring of honor because he's been he's been with that team, like I said, since from the very beginning, very gracious uh, with the Ottawa media, very gracious with his time. And he said on his way out, nothing would make me happier than to see this team win. It's my home. So thank you, Cyril. Thank you for putting the Senators first. Before I end my rant, Sens are on the road for three after the All-Star break. They're in Florida Tuesday, in Tampa Bay Thursday, in Buffalo on Saturday. Um, I'm hoping they don't get too relaxed because this could be one of those trap weeks where they get a bit complacent. They let their guard down a little bit, and then they have a bad week. But if they continue to play the kind of hockey they've been playing for the last two weeks, I can see another big week with a lot of results for the Ottawa Senators. So we'll see how this week unfolds. Brett, the floor is yours. You can Mm -hmm. talk about your Boston Bruins. Thanks. Uh, Yeah, well, the reason why I said that they were, uh, as you were saying off the air, you were saying that they were kicking butt. I, I was just mentioning that they lost two games this week, so that that's not necessarily kicking kicking butt. But I, I get you. You explained your reasoning well enough, so I'll I'll, I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> the um, and also I like that Tommy Wingles move. He has a cool name, and I, I don't know. Yeah. I always, although it's going to be hard for me to get used to a Tommy Wingles being not on the Sharks. So. Um, It'll take a while. Oh, you'll get used to him because you'll you'll be going up against your Bruins at some point. I'm sure. Yeah, we. I'm like looking at our schedule. I guess we don't play that much. Oh, in March we play a lot, but in mm. April. But we, yeah, we don't play you guys for a while. Anyways, uh, so um, the last time we talked, I was uh, pretty much done with the Bruins. Um, yeah, you sounded defeated. I yeah. So I hate to be, I don't want to say like I'm fully back on, but I am a little encouraged by the last two games that they played. Um, we lost another game 5-1 uh, to one against Pittsburgh that day. Um, I didn't, actually, I was, wa- I was watching another game, uh, another Pittsburgh-Boston uh, game that day, so I didn't really get to watch this game, but... Do, do you want me to fill you in? Because actually we got it in Canada here and I was able to watch some of it. I know that there was, the only thing I knew about that game is that there was like a interruption in the middle of the first because the, like, there was like a hole in the ice or something yeah, like that. Yeah, there, there was an ice yeah. delay. At that, at that point, they were getting outshot 11-2. to They yeah. go back on the ice. They outshot the Penguins from that point on 32-13 to from hmm. the 6-26 six, six mark left in the first to the end of the second. 
So during that extended middle frame, they outshot him 32 to 13, down two to one after 40. Then the third rolls around. Pittsburgh gets three goals in less than three minutes, including uh, the last one came on a power play that lasted just six seconds. So the third period really did Boston in, and um, they they probably deserved a better fate the way they play in the second period. But in the third, uh, Pittsburgh just exposed them. Yeah. Um, during a rough sequence, and that was pretty much the end of that story. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't. I was but, uh, at least, at least, at least the other, at least some more important ball day, and that was your Patriots. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, you cut out a bit there, but yeah, no, I was about to say, like, at least uh, our football team beat their football team, so um, we'll always, we'll have that over them. Yeah. Um, the uh, and then on Tuesday, uh, the Detroit Red Wings. Um, we uh, it was actually a pretty close game. I, since I was in the middle of giving up on the season, I didn't watch too much of this game. But I did. I did catch that it was three three in the third period. So I watched the third period and then the eventual overtime. And it was it was kind of funny too because I I just remember like during the overtime I was just like, talking to myself, saying, like, oh, my God, the Bruins are going to lose this game. They're, like, playing, like, they don't care. They're just, they're playing so so lethargic. We're just going to lose this game. And then, all of a sudden, you know, Pasternak scores this goal. I'm like, all right, I guess (laughs) don't listen to me. Um, So, but, yeah, so Pasternak uh, got his, um, finally got his goal. He's been goalless for the past, like, 13 games or something like that. Um, 17, actually. 17, yeah. 17, yeah. Um, so there was that. Um, Marshawn had two goals, and he also had this uh, um, interesting play with the Nicholas Cronwall um, where he got fined for, although you think that he should have been suspended for, which I I, I can agree with, Um in the sense that he does, like he is a pest and all that stuff, but he has to have more discipline than that. Um, just because it's you know, like I feel like uh, like he is our leading scorer right now. Um, he is our, you know, he was our all star, you know, all star candidate. He proved in the summer that he was this great player. Um, so he doesn't really have much else to prove. But, um, yeah, he has to kind of stop doing these dirty plays like this. Um, yeah, like, in, in, yeah. in Brad's defense, Cronwall stops as the play is going offside. Yeah. But based on what I see, Marshawn is too busy looking at the play that's developing instead of but, what's in right yeah, in front of just, him, and that's Cronwall's back. Yeah. And then if he sees Cronwall's in his way, he should try and move out of harm's way. And regardless of whether or not he tried, Cronwall's got his back turned, Marshawn comes in from behind, the leg comes out, mm-hmm. Nicholas falls down. It's up to Brad to avoid that situation. He's been suspended before. He's been suspended twice, as a matter of fact. This guy's an all-star now. This is not an all-star play. No. And if you don't think it deserves a suspension, why fine him? By <laughs> fining him, it sends the message, no. in my opinion, this play wasn't dirty enough to be called a suspension, but at the same time, you shouldn't have done it. Yeah. Finding billionaires is so easy, but it becomes harder to get your message across if that is your primary method of punishment. True. And when I see players in a vulnerable spot and it's almost impossible for them to defend themselves and they get targeted, 
and then they get targeted, my blood starts to boil. And that and that's what I have a problem with is that is that they fine him the maximum amount under the collective bargaining agreement. He's been suspended twice before, and yet he decide they decide no no suspension for Brad Marchand. I right. just don't get it. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's just that he he's lucky that it wasn't more or he wasn't yeah. suspended for this. And yeah, I agree with you. It, it was it wasn't a good play. It's like it's it's but it's one of those things where like I, I'm like, well, he's Brad Marchand. What do I expect? Kind yeah. of things. But he has to be better than that at this point in his career. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate, but um, whatever. Well, I guess he's working on it. It's just the way that he plays, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, he's not as bad as Lucic was. So um, there's that. Yeah. Um, then we uh, beat. Uh, then on Thursday, after that big win, um, we beat the Pittsburgh Penguins again. So it was four three. Um, Rask actually played pretty well um, in that game, but um, yeah, we uh, we won that game. Uh, Bergeron is kind of back, so I'm I'm a little better uh, than last than I was last week in terms of the Bruins um, and how they're going to do. But I still don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Um, and I, I mean, and I'm kind of going back and forth on if they should actually fire Claude Julien or not. Um, you know, part of me thinks that they should, uh, keep him just because he, you know, there's not a lot of good coaches out in the market and, you know, he might be good, you know, he might be good in developing these young players, but on the other hand, I'm like, but we shouldn't be in this spot to begin with and we're better than this and that that's his job. So, um, maybe he's just run this course here. So, um, so I'm I'm always I'm like not really yet on I'm like I'm on the fence on this issue. So um but we'll we'll see. Um Yeah. I just just taking a look at the Pittsburgh yeah. game, there were there were some things that I was impressed with. Although they fell behind two nothing in the first, it looked like Pittsburgh was waiting to pounce on them, but yeah. the Bruins didn't let that get to them. They outshot Pittsburgh twenty four to ten in the final forty minutes. They get three goals in a almost nine minutes of hockey and uh, they jump out to a four to two lead. Um, another key to that win was Boston's ability to adapt and to contain Connor, Sherry, Brian rust and Justin Schultz, because in the first yeah, two matches, was those, well. those three combined for 13 points and six of the pens, nine goals against the Bruins in game three, Justin Schultz got two points and that's it. Yeah. So the way they were able to adapt that, that, and that was in the first period too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, another thing to mention is Brad Marchand had two goals in that game as well, so he had four goals in two games. Um, but yeah, uh, so Brad Marchand's finally he's you know he's getting his groove and all that. But um, yeah, no, all we need is to get Bergeron going, Pasternak going, um, Marchand's already going, but you know Krejci, Bacchus, those guys going. And once that happens, then I think. Then we're back to business, but um, right now I'm still like I'm like I my hopes are sort of up, but I'm still not like all right. Let's we're in the playoffs. We're gonna make some noise, kind of thing. But um, we'll see. Uh, so this Tuesday we play uh, the Bruins play the the Lightning um, 
at Tampa Bay. Then um, Wednesday, they're at Washington, um, which should be interesting. And then on Saturday, they play uh, the Maple Leafs, um, which is which should be a fun game and an important game, especially since Toronto is at our next uh, for a playoff spot. So, um, well, not not only that, they're also a division team. I mean, you look at yeah. the four three win against Detroit. Detroit got a point in that game. You can't be giving division rivals points because sure. that's the more ground you give them, especially with the amount with the amount of games in hand they have on you. Yeah. Uh, it's awfully tough to claw well, your way back into the playoff picture for good if if. Those points are just being given to them. True. Well, it's different for a team like Detroit because they're not really in a playoff spot. But yeah, for a team like well, Toronto and Tampa Bay, then they they might have a chance in the playoffs. But yeah, heading heading into Thursday's action, this is an interesting point that I noticed. Detroit was tied with Buffalo and Tampa Bay for final spot in the Metropolitan to getting divisions mixed up. The Atlantic Division. They were in a three way tie for dead last in the Atlantic Division. However. Just six points back of Toronto for third. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're not technically out of it. I guess that's true, but I, 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 I would be surprised if Detroit, Buffalo, or Tampa Bay made it in right now at this point, um, or Florida. Um, I feel I'm like just it's, saying there's a, I'm just saying a lot can change in, in the next thirty or yeah, so games. That's true. So. I guess that's fair. I, I just have a feeling that it's going to be either th- Montreal. Well, Montreal is already in, but it's going to be between Ottawa, Boston, and Toronto for those two spots. Yeah. Um, and then the, the other two wild cards will be in the Metro. Um, I just have a feeling that's how it's going to work out, but we'll see. Um, it should be fun. Um, social media stuff. Um, you can. Uh, Go on our SoundCloud. You're probably listening to us on SoundCloud uh, at Lace Them Up Podcast. Um, just search it there. Uh, follow us on that format. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Just look up Lace Them Up um, on, on your iTunes store, um, and you'll automatically get updated when uh, when there's a new podcast, a new episode. Um, our... Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Um, we'll, we usually tweet some stuff out. Um, I think Steve just cut out here, so um, no, I'm here. Oh, you're yeah, here. Lace M Podcast, the Twitter, and uh, Face up, we also have Facebook. and Facebook is just Lace Up, Lace Them Up. Um, yeah. I think that's it. Oh yeah, and mail us at uh, laceupbag at gmail Anything really. Um, feedback questions that you want us to talk about on the show, um, anything, or you can just tweet at us um, what you want us to talk about. So, um, yeah, um, I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 63 of the Lace Up Podcast.